to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Thanks for joining me and please hang on in there because I've got an awesome guest for you today and a real surprise of a story actually since I think you're going to love the chat even though it's fundamentally about salt. But more than that, Gregory, the MD of Blackthorn Salt, is a lovely, warm, enthusiastic, and in my mind, as ever with these slight obsessives, bordering on crazy man on a mission to produce incredible gourmet sea salt, minimising environmental damage, and having hell of a lot of fun and curiosity along the way. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to Gregory, and for reasons I can't quite explain, it's up there amongst my favourite conversations. But... Before we get to Gregory, it would be remiss of me not to mention the latest in the world of hospitality. I'm recording this on the 4th of October 2020, and I don't think I've ever seen the industry so unified in its utter condemnation of the latest restrictions the government have placed on our industry. And the primary one of those is the 10pm curfew. Once again, the latest government transmission figures show what a wonderful job we have been doing in hospitality. Since, obviously, we look after a huge number of people every week, but our transmission rates remain amongst the lowest in the country. 4.6% three weeks ago, 2.8% two weeks ago, and 4% last week. Care homes has dropped too, which is great, but the workplace, and particularly schools and universities, sees the vast majority of transmissions at 26 and 38%. With all the scientific evidence demonstrating that we are amongst the safest places to spend some time, and all the economic evidence showing what a devastating impact this measure is having on our sector, the Cancel the Curfew campaign is gathering momentum. I think originally we thought, or at the very least hoped, that the government would hold its hands up, admit that due to the haste of making decisions, inevitably, sometimes the wrong decision is made, but to rectify the situation as soon as possible before hundreds of thousands of employees lose their jobs and numerous businesses fail. Alas, this has not been the case. Despite a tsunami of feedback that their rather flippant claims that this gesture has no scientific backing and has not been modelled to make any difference whatsoever, it was a low-cost symbol to demonstrate things are different. But this is not the case. As an industry, it's having a catastrophic impact, as much as anything because it is striking fear into the consumer that hospitality is not safe. We had begun to win over a tentative public, and whilst difficult for most, and impossible for anyone involved in the late-night economy, at least some parts of hospitality were finding a way to try and navigate through till next spring, and hopefully survival from there on in. Now the sector has been knocked back. The optimism has gone, and redundancies and closures are inevitable. It's so sad to see so many incredible businesses fail. In my own business, though I'm now pretty confident that we will find a way through, I worry for the impact on my team. We probably lost some of the B team over the past few months, but now only the A team is left. Losing the A team breaks my heart. Maybe some of them will jump sectors, but they are good humans and this feels so unnecessary. I do not believe that letting people sit in restaurants and bars past 10pm has any material impact on COVID transmission. We are just being used to make a point and that is frankly outrageous. I would not be surprised if some of the bigger players in the industry start to investigate what legal action can be taken against the government. Clearly, where the evidence demonstrates action is required, like the first lockdown, we are going to support. The moral and ethical reasons were obvious, and the financial numbers are always secondary to that. As a sector, we are all about the welfare of others, and we would never knowingly put them at risk. 
But now we have so many initiatives, training, PPE and systems in place, the risk is minimal and thus it does feel criminal that the government can click its fingers and cause such unnecessary hardship and so many good people to lose good jobs and good businesses to go to the wall. Right, that is enough of the negativity. We are still a sector full of incredible human beings and I set this podcast up to share their stories and be a beacon of some of the incredible stuff that goes on in the world of food and drink. And that remains the case. So whilst in some ways it feels frivolous to put out light-hearted content when things are so chaotic behind the scenes of hospitality, I think it's essential to take some time out and be inspired by other people's stories. And I for one am insatiably curious enough to love our continuing adventure and learning as I'm fortunate enough to meet some great humans of hospitality. Now Gregory from Blackthorn knows an incredible amount about salt. His family have been involved in salt for over 140 years. His dad's dad dad set up the business. But his latest venture is their first foray into the actual production of salt. And you should probably pause this episode at this point and go to blackthornsalt.co.uk and just take a look at this crazy big tower of thorns that they have built on the edge of the ocean in Scotland. It will help you visualise what we are about to chat about. This incredible wooden structure dribbles seawater through 54 wooden taps, releasing the water to trickle down a tower of blackthorn exposed to the Scottish winds and sunshine, evaporating the water and leaving an ever-increasing saline solution. There is something beautifully romantic and nostalgic about harnessing nature right on the water's edge in Scotland. But more than that, I've been using the salt for the past few weeks, and it is genuinely awesome. The work that Gregory and his team have put into perfecting just the right size crystals and just the right shape so that they crumble between your fingers as you sprinkle them over dishes is to be commended. Such attention to detail has even been focused on the box that the salt comes in so it can be opened and closed with one hand and does not need a plastic insert. I learned so much chatting to Gregory, not just about salt, but about how to run a business for multiple generations and how being curious and embarking on adventures just because they are fun rather than financially proven is such a wonderful part of so many hospitality journeys. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you do, or if you've enjoyed others, can you please do me a very quick favour? Can you pause the podcast, find the app that you are playing this on, scroll down and hit five stars and press subscribe. Even better if you can leave a few words as a review, it really, really helps me out. The better reviews that you leave, the easier it is for me to get in touch with some of the finest humans involved in food, drink and hospitality and convince them that an hour chatting to me is a great use of their time. The better guests that I can get, the more we get to learn and enjoy these conversations together. So please help me out and if you do, I'll continue to invest my time and energy into producing this weekly podcast for us free of charge. Thank you so much and enjoy the conversation. Gregory Marshall from Blackthorn Sea Salt, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated. Uh, I'm disappointed that I'm not sat in front of you, Gregory, but you're some seven and a half hours in a car away from me, so we're doing this remotely. But can you just explain to people listening, where in the world are you, please? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hi, Mark. Uh, it's, thank you very much for having me on. Um, we are up on the west coast of Scotland in Ayrshire and currently being uh, battered by the wind and rain that seems to be coming in from the coming in from the sea so not a particularly good day for our uh, tower to work but you know we have to cope with everything here yeah oh that's interesting because i was genuinely devastatedly disappointed that i hadn't come up to see you but it, it's just a bit hard at the moment with the kids just going back to school and all that kind of stuff because all the photos i've seen of this incredible tower that we're about to speak about you've taken on a beautiful sunny day right on the beach with the island in the background and i thought oh, it would be fantastic to do this on top of that tower but i I've, i'm actually sorry but slightly pleased that if you're being battered by bad weather that, that it's lovely and warm and sunny down here on the south coast where i am today uh, yeah, no, we wouldn't, I think, be standing on the ta- top of the tower very long today. We've, we're pretty soaked pretty quickly. Okay, well, it would have been a, would have been a wasted journey. So um, 
you qualify for me as an exceptional human of hospitality because the people I get really excited about interviewing are, are, are probably considered to be slightly bonkers or eccentric because they take their niche, whatever that niche be, and they take it to this kind of crazy extreme. And I love people who do that in hospitality where we get to eat and drink it because it's uh, it's just a lovely way of enhancing life. Uh, you have built this uh you know, huge, very visually impressive tower right on the coastline. People really, the best thing to do is probably just to, to pause this and hop on the internet and have a little picture of it. But since this is an audio uh, production, can you just describe this thing that you've built on the coast there, please? Uh, yeah, it's uh, as you say, it's better to see the picture. But ultimately, it's a uh, timber structure that is um, 25 metres long and 8 metres high. And the it's got two sides to it, I suppose, and they are stuffed full of blackthorn, literally sort of as, as packed as you can get of, of blackthorn. So blackthorn is the uh, sort of slow bushes where you pick your slows. So they've got lots of sort of spikes on. So it's absolutely packed full and they all sort of intertwine and the, the spikes sort of thorns sort of hold it all together. And then on, on top of the tower, there is uh, some, I suppose, a trough that runs along uh, along the top on both sides. And that's where the uh, seawater is put in to then trickle over the side. And then down at the bottom, there's a sort of a basin to catch the water that comes down down the side. So it's all made of timber. Um, the good thing about timber is that it's um, it salt treats timber. So we're hoping it's going to last a long time um, and we won't have to do too much to it. But actually, having said that, the blackthorn uh, part of it will probably need to be replaced every seven to ten years. Um, but the good thing about that is actually, uh, and it's sort of what we're looking at at the moment, is uh, to plant blackthorn. So if we, blackthorn's got about a sort of seven to ten years is the growth that we want on blackthorn in order to put it into the tower. So we're looking to plant it now so that in seven to ten years time we can then replace it and put it put it back in. So yeah, it's it's um, it's huge. I think people, when it was first going up, were thought it was going to be some nuclear bunker or something like that. Some of the pictures on Facebook that it's uh, that it's definitely used for making salt. But yeah, and you can you can basically you can climb inside it and through it and up onto the top of it. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, it's um, in in the middle. There, there's a sort of I suppose there's about a two meter gap in the middle, and uh, you can sort of climb up onto the top and then walk along walk along the the top. So it, the original so this design ultimately is something that we've taken from uh, Poland and Germany where they used to uh, take I suppose brine from underground and the concentration of that would be about eight nine percent and then they would trickle that down it so they'd sort of stopped making uh, salt with these towers about sort of 50 60 years ago um, and so I went over there to go and see it originally quite a few years ago now maybe 12 13 14 years ago and um sort of looked at the towers and how they did it and that what is different about ours were well, quite a few different things about it but all their towers over there you actually walked on top of the tower in ours uh, we have the platform is lowered um so it's about a meter below the top of the tower so that when you're sort of leaning over and changing the taps which is what we have to do every day um it's, it seems a bit safer to do that than sort of crawling down on your knees and leaning leaning further over so um we that, that seems like a fairly uh important design alteration they never how many people did they lose falling off the top of towers before they went oh we should just drop the top a little bit <laughs> i don't i don't know they didn't record that bit funnily enough. wow okay yeah and particularly being right on the coast there being battered by the scottish winds i, I, I can see the importance of that uh yeah, yeah i think health and safety was less important in those days um yeah, yeah so it's a bit more now Sorry to interrupt, though, but carry on. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, uh, it's yes. Yeah, so I think, I mean, uh, in terms of the sort of building of the structure and where, uh, you know, how that sort of came about, I think you know this is the only structure that's been uh, built in the UK ever, and it's the only one to have ever used seawater. And um, trying to get some experts to help in how we design it and what we do is was basically impossible. I did um, go over to Poland to try and meet someone who, who knew quite a lot about them and had sort of fixed some towers over in Poland. Uh, uh, but the the initial problem was for the first hour is that uh, my Polish wasn't particularly good and his English wasn't particularly good. So we ended up talking through an app and the mobile phone, which oh, didn't wow. really describe it too well. 
<laughs> then he managed to persuade his daughter to come along and be the translator. But, um, you know, it was a sort of fairly limited conversation and uh, trying to persuade him to come over over here and help us and, and do it, he wasn't interested, um, sadly. So it was basically, uh, I suppose I came up with a, the design. I used to be an architect many, many years ago. So that's probably one of, another reason why I quite like the structure of it but uh, i suppose between me and a company called graven and the timber um the chaps who built it a chap called archie who's completely completely nuts for taking on the project but thank god he did and and the structural engineer actually between the four of us we i suppose pulled it all together and um and yeah we started to build it and archie pulled a sort of a crew together who uh, yeah did most of it sort of on the ground and you think gosh nothing's really happening and then within within a week suddenly the structure was was up and uh, you start to realise that actually all oh, this really is this really is happening yeah uh, having said that that was about two years ago so it's still taking, still taking wow. quite a long time yeah. to get here gosh, yeah because because fundamentally although. I don't want to. I don't want to belittle it by calling it a wooden rectangle. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's quite a long, quite a long time, isn't it, for what looks like a, a simple thing? But I think the reason that everybody who sees it is is sort of in awe and and kind of I don't know. You, you've instantaneously got this kind of soul, I suppose, behind your brand is because because it's made of wood and even the taps of wood and it's fundamentally branched. It's got this hint of n- nostalgia because so much, I suppose, of, of what's made now is made in stainless steel and industrialized. I, I did an interview uh, with a with an old sort of stone mill as well. And that was the same, I suppose, that you know, new mills are all sort of blast jets of air on stainless steel, getting rid of the the, the kernels that, that actually is all the good stuff that's in flour. And this is the same. It's just got this nostalgic kind of almost mythical sort of mystic kind of look about it, I suppose, being being on the water's edge. Um, yeah, it's, it's that part of the fun of this in, in the fact you're creating something unique and historical, because I'm guessing there's easier ways and quicker ways to make salt. Yeah, there's much easier and quicker ways to do it, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's... Um, it's 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 partly that and it's also um partly the fact that it doesn't you know it's environmentally it doesn't need much energy to produce the salt crystals so you know compared to um you know other sort of salt crystal manufacturers in in the uk you know it's, it's probably uses about 85 uh, percent less energy because 85 percent of the water is evaporated by the wind and the sun i don't know you think that's maybe strange in scotland but there is some sun occasionally and really? um but uh, <laughs> i know you should you should come up yeah, yeah, I, 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 I promise you it was real <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh so i i think yeah so the it's sort of gathering that as well the ecological side of it the environmental side of it and and trying to um you know encapsulate that for us is is very important you know we uh, wanted to, I suppose, make it the most energy efficient way possible, but also uh, with, you know, using, you know, using timber and using all the sort of sustainable sources uh, that we had, which therefore, uh, I suppose, makes it unique uh, for what it is. But also, is that even, the even, even the taps uh, wooden? But, yeah, seen. the taps are wooden. Everything's wooden. Why? I, you know, for us, uh, the salt is <laughs> corrosive, so absolutely everything, you know, um, apart from wood. So that's the beauty of it. You know? And if you think of all the old uh, ships that used to sail, you know, they were all timber. They lasted for years and years. And this will continue to, uh, we hope, as well. So, yeah, I mean, we've got some stainless steel bolts going through. I've not I've not interviewed anyone from P&O, but I'm pretty sure their new boats look like they're made of metal. Yeah, so, they uh... are, but they're, they're made for size and uh, to carry more. But, you know, the old ones... Uh, they were all timber and they lasted for you know hundreds of years. So. They did, yeah, yeah. No, I just like the fact that you used a wooden tap. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to believe you that just because it wouldn't corrode away, but but again, it looks like you've done it because you're you're slightly crazy and it's got this beautiful aesthetic and nostalgia. Is it is it purely practical or is it also just because it looks awesome? Uh, I think I think there's probably a bit of the the look to it, but um, the majority of it is definitely the practical side of it. Uh, because you know we could automate it we could probably put in plastic taps and stuff like that and make it but actually the you know it's the it's the hand crafting of it it's the yeah we have to go and adjust the taps because you know like um, 
like in anything, you know, the wood when it dries out or it's a bit sunny or anything, you know, it starts to expand or contract, depending. So again, the taps start to expand and contract. So we need to go and start um, sort of fiddling with the taps. And depending on um, the weather, we know how windy it is or which way the wind direction is coming from, you know, we need to adjust the water flow that's coming down the side of the tower because so ultimately the tower we're trying to evaporate as much water as possible so the reason for the blackthorn is uh it's because of the sort of i suppose the spikes on it is it's more surface area so the larger the surface area the more evaporation we can get because more air that will pass more of the water so by increasing the surface area we increase the speed i suppose it's a bit like um you know you hang your washing up outside and the water evaporates and and your clothes dry you know that's the same as what we're trying to do uh, we're trying to evaporate water so uh, you know rather than just dumping your clothes in a bundle you know you spread them all out so we're trying to spread it all out and and get the evaporation so seawater starts at about three three and a half percent and uh, so we trickle it down and we sort of move it up and down the tower and we keep on trickling it uh, and then rotating it back up and then down and up till we get to the sort of about 20, 22 percent. Um, and then and we how take, long does it take? Uh, how so many it depends days? on the <laughs> depends on the weather, you know, on a nice so on a nice sunny day, um, we could probably on, on one pass down, uh, we could hope for an increase of about four percent. So we oh, could wow. go from maybe, you know, three and a half to seven and a half, maybe eight percent on on a good day. On a day like today, we'll, we'll be, it'll be nothing. We have good days and bad days. Um, but having said that, you know, it's three and a half, uh, you know, four, four percent and you're doing a thousand, you know, about a thousand liters an hour. It's not a, it's not a quick, it's not a quick process. Um, but, you know, that's the beauty of it. You know, and we're not, we're not in a hurry. Yeah. Well, it's something about that, isn't it? And, and, and again, I don't think it makes sense in any way apart from just you know as human beings we we love that kind of handcrafted made with love the attention that goes into it and and i don't know why and I, you know but I, I question it the logic of it but so much in hospitality it comes up there's clearly a more efficient you know cheaper way of making stuff but but um people love the story behind food and i do think you can taste it in ultimately in the quality and the flavor and whether that be a, a chocolatier or a, or a gin maker or a flour maker for baking or now you know in this case salt there's something about things that are made slowly with love by humans rather than machines isn't there yeah, no, there absolutely is. And, and I think in, in salt, you know, there are, it, you know, seawater has 60 plus different elements in it. Um, so, you know, and, and salt ultimately, you know, sodium chloride, if you were to say, is, you know, like the sort of PDV or the sort of Saxa salt, you know, that's pretty much 99.9% .9 sodium chloride. And, um, you know, and it's got a sort of an industrial sort of taste to it almost and obviously i'm being biased but um you know whereas if you take um our salt for example you know that will have lots of other different trace elements in it so it is probably about 94 95 percent sodium chloride so you therefore you've got sort of five percent of other things and so you that would include magnesium calcium uh, and potassium and they all have a different effect on on the taste and the flavor and, and you think okay well it's only a very small amount so then how can it affect it that much? I says, well, it's like, you know, you put in whatever it is, 2% of salt into butter. And I tell you, it makes a huge difference. Well, we're talking about, you know, 5% of other elements into salt. So it definitely makes a huge difference to the, to the end flavor and, and what that effect is on your, on your taste buds. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, so you're getting this, that you start basically with seawater. You happen to be on the west coast of Scotland, presumably, therefore, with a really good access to great quality clear water. Do you literally just pump it in, you know, off the sea and then into the tower because you, you are near the ocean or does it come from somewhere else? No, we actually, um, it's, we are, where the tower is based is very close to a river. And uh, the problem with rivers, well, is that it quite often washes down some not very pleasant things, but also it dilutes the seawater. So you end up then at only about sort of maybe two and a half percent. So therefore you've got, if you take say 2% compared to 3%, you've got a third more evaporating to do if you take it at that level. So that increases it as well. So actually we um, go slightly further along the coast and get it from Troon. 
uh, where the water is uh, clear and, and it's tested and actually there's a there's a lot of sort of longestine and stuff around about there as well which comes out too so we know that the, the water is constantly being tested for them too so. oh how do you get it to you then uh we truck it around so right. know, we have to get a, a large uh, tanker vessel and, and bring it around so so you've got a storage container or something next to the tower. Uh, we have well, we have three actually. So um, so one of the is one of the tanks is used for the circulation process, and the other is used for the full concentration, and then the uh, third tank is used for uh, collecting the um, the seawater. Okay, <laughs> amazing. Um, you you will, will will come a little bit to your because um, you actually know a huge amount of salt and, and multi-generational but I'm, but I'm going to come back to that uh, and, and your family sort of connection with it but this initial idea did did you want to make a salt was that the first idea and then you went and investigated ways to do it and came up with a tower or, or did you see a tower and went that's awesome I want to build one what was what was the sort of catalyst I suppose what way around was it um I uh... I think wanting to make salt was the was the beginning. It was quite a long time ago now, so I sort of struggled to remember. But I'm, it was wanting to make salt. Um, you know, I think I think probably as a family or as a company, we sort of thought about it for a, for a very long time. And and then it was just um, I just came across the towers um, somewhere, and I thought, right, okay, I must go and see those. And then having seen it, thought, you know, and I met a very nice uh, chap out there called Jules the Lugas, who sort of took me for a tour around one or two of them. And um, I just, I think at that stage, thought, you know, they are amazing, but, you know, why aren't people using them anymore? And, you know, how, why, is, why is that the case? And can we do it over here? And, and sort of went through various different um, scenarios. In fact, originally I was thinking, right, okay, well, let's, um, let's put one of these up on the coast make it as a tourist attraction and we'll put a cafe in it and uh, yeah we'll have a sort of and uh, just sort of go well, hold on i know nothing about um, tourist attractions i know nothing about cafes and i know very little about making salt so i think we'll just stick with the making salt option and and so then we did some tests with um, strathclyde university as into you know uh, how the evaporating works with and um, with the Blackthorn, and we had a, a student working on it for a year, which was great. So we learned quite a lot through that. Built a little uh, prototype, um, and uh, you know, did some tests and and a lot of research actually on the historical side of it. So you know, they used to use um, straw uh, originally many many years ago, but when that got uh, um, wet, it didn't really last very long. So they'd had tried lots of materials, and you know, we did also look. You were talking earlier about whether you know, we thought about using sort of, I suppose, plastic taps rather than wooden ones. We also looked at, well, what could we use instead of blackthorn? And I think it was, we didn't really do much testing on it. It was more just a sort of passing thought. It's like, well, do you know what? The blackthorn, we know that works. We've, 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 it's been proved that it works. And, you know, the idea of putting lots of plastic up and stuff just didn't, didn't appeal, you know, the, the sort of whole natural process of it and the sort of using the sort of natural, you know, there is lots of uh, blackthorn roundabout, and uh, so by using that, it just seemed to make make more sense. So yeah, I think we sort of did a lot of that, and then realised that um, you know it's it sort of going to take a lot of time and a lot of money. And after sort of quite a few years of huffing and puffing about it, we sort of um, took it on maybe about three years ago, um, yeah, and started the, the actual building of it. Maybe a bit longer actually. So. Okay, and but you 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 wanted to make a gourmet salt of your own. Um, so if you hadn't done this, was was there sort of a number two on the list where you where you said, okay, you know, th- this this is this is Plan B? Um, uh, no, <laughs> it was Plan A. <laughs> okay, I, no, I think that. I was just nuts enough to think that we could just do it and crack on, and um, yeah. you know, and yeah, I, I think. There is a market, you know, there's, there's, there's the market out there as well, you know, so right, well, if, we, if I'm stupid enough to do this, actually, is it going to be able to sell anything at the end? And, you know, salt is used in everything. And the, the gourmet salt is, you know, it is taken up, obviously, Malden, a fantastic job. They have lovely crystals. Um, but, you know, I think uh, there is, there's room in the market for others. You know, obviously, Hallam Mon have proved that. And uh, you have Cornish and... You know, and so it was just, uh, it just made sense to sort of to do it. And it is a unique process. You know, that is um, part of the excitement of it too, I think. 
Yeah, it definitely. It's definitely the reason that we're chatting. Because I've actually done a, a podcast on salt before. We've got a, a Dorset um, salt course, down yes. here, Dorset sea salt, and uh, and it's a great it's a great product from Portland. But yeah, I just love the it's that iconic image, and and it, and it's yeah, it's very easy to get excited about when you see that huge uh, tower. So it's a it's a quirky, funny niche, and and I imagine lots of people thought you were bonkers, but I think it's brilliant, and I think it will do very well because of that sort of yeah, again that nostalgia and that kind of iconic before we move on a little bit um you know, away from the production process just need to finish because you don't you, it's not all made you don't just sort of you know pour water in at the top and then you know get salt out the bottom once you've you've changed that sort of density of, of, of salination what happens next what's the next stage yeah no, so, so what um happens is that uh, salt crystals tend to start forming when the concentration gets up to about 26 uh, percent so so we take it off the tower at around about 2022. 20, I think if we start forming crystals on the tower, it would um, take a lot of a lot of work trying to scrape off every little branch. So we take it off into the into the pan house, um, which is ultimately, I suppose, it's a it's a large pan, which is um, it's about sort of a meter and a half wide by about sort of four meters long maybe three and a half meters long. And uh, it is a heated bath, so it's got a um, double skin uh, with, I suppose, hot water running in between the skins. And then we put the uh, the brine in the middle and we heat it up. And uh, it is, uh, it's a sort of, it's a bit of a sort of dark art of trying to get the crystals that you want or the size that you'd like to have. Um, and that is, I suppose, we, we heat it up to a sort of fairly warm to start with. And then we start dropping the temperature down. So I suppose the whole process ranges in between sort of, I suppose, in between 50 and 80 degrees depending on where we are in the process and um it's just trying to you know to get crystals we you know we like the uh, the sort of flat flattish crystals that are sort of easy to crumble in your hands but it's um we have a debate over you know what is the good size and you know you don't want to go too big because then you end up with um people putting too much on because then you can't you know i think salt's definitely got a, a feel to it and you, you know when you pick it up and pinch and you sprinkle it on your your food you kind of know how much is going on that sort of instinctiveness and so it's making sure that you can do that and you don't lose that sort of knowledge that sort of feel i suppose uh, to it so yeah so we we heat it up and then we uh the salt crystals start to form on the surface so when they form, they form sort of upside down pyramids. So you see the sort of pyramid shapes, but they actually form with the, the pointy bit pointing down into the water. And then what happens is that they grow from, from the, the central part and get bigger and bigger. So salt is a, is a square crystal, so hence it grows out in the, in the pyramid. And um, once it gets to a certain size, it'll get too heavy to sit on the top and then will just sink down to the bottom. So that process is just an ongoing ongoing process and, and the thing takes probably about for one batch takes us about five days to 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 produce the salt so it's it's not a fast doesn't get any quicker once it comes <laughs> off the tower that's for sure but yeah. yeah and then after that we we sort of um harvest it hand harvest it and just sort of break it out uh and then let it um, i suppose just sort of drain uh for a for a day or two and then we stick it into uh, a large oven ultimately to dry it off to get it down to a, a sort of less than three percent moisture uh and then we pack it into the boxes and actually the the boxes i'm slightly taking a tangent on the salt but the boxes took quite a long time to get uh to what we were looking for because we wanted something that was you know Going to be environmentally friendly and didn't have any plastic and stuff and we you know we looked at all these sort of um, plastics that are now you know made in various different ways whether it's using sort of um, fishes uh, sh you know crab shells or anything like that and uh, all sort of compostable and recyclable and it's like well actually it's still it's still a bit of an issue but so we spent a long time trying to design the box so it didn't need a um, plastic bag to go inside and we got there eventually. It's maybe in the sort of opening of the box is maybe a bit tricky, but we are um, improving that. And um, we're also uh, looking to go to the next stage so that the catering tubs that we have will actually become boxes too. So 
uh, we can get away from any plastic at all. That's that's yeah, our that. that's our. So aim. how do you how do you make a box not need a bit of plastic in? Then is this to do with the design of the opening, or is it's this to the do with the design opening? of the opening? Because plastic, I suppose, you know, we look to the, the supermarket and you look at um, flour, for example, or sugar. You know, that's just in a paper bag rolled up at the top and sealed and, and left, and, and everyone's fine with that. And everyone's fine with the fact that there's some flour and sugar sitting around the supermarket or on the shelf, and people have got used to that. But no one's really used to it in salt. And people are saying, oh, my goodness, that's just a waste of salt. You know, why is that happening? So we were sort of conscious that we basically had to have something that's sealed, uh, which became a bit of the issue. And trying to get something that, you know, small grains of salt aren't going to fall out of. So we ended up almost with a sort of it's a liner inside the box, which um, also allows it, once the box is open, to be able to you know, have the box on the counter, but be able to open it and then close it, the lid again, and the lid will stay closed and you can sort of do it as a one-hand movement. So very much sort of thinking of trying to make it easy to use as well as practical. I love it. I'm intrigued now. I need to see one. Um, but uh, yeah, again, you, you make you the uh, sort of crazy obsessive where you'll even design the box, which 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 is great. Um, just going back slightly then, so that with all of those environmental credentials, the 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 only bit i suppose we've not not touched on is that that period of heating how do you do that in the most environmental way that you can currently not particularly environmentally friendly at the moment we do have some solar panels um which are used for some of the energy but the the rest of the energy is actually um is done currently with an oil uh, burner but um you know we are looking at uh, you know changing that to timber um but at the moment that was i think there's only in my um, not carried away part of it, there's only so far that the budget will go to then going, actually, okay, let's, we've got to make sure this works before we spend too much more money on yeah. it. So, so now we've got to that stage, we're actually uh, looking at, um, you know, the next environmental thing. So it's, you know, it's key for us and we will be yeah. changing that. But um, can, you, can you do like a ground source sort of heat borehole thing I'm thinking of or something? Or bring uh, it up that yeah, heat? well, actually, interestingly, we can't, um, for that we could do to start with to increase the temperature, but we're wanting to get up to, um, you know, the temperatures that we we're talking about is is, is quite difficult from ground, uh, ground source. But actually what we're also looking at some stage is to preheating the water before it goes on the tower. Uh, because if you increase the uh, temperature of the water, you increase the evaporation rate. And so even you know if you do it by, well, if you could do it by 10 degrees, you double the amount you could evaporate. So you can see that makes quite a big uh, difference. And But we're just thinking that maybe, you know, we were just thinking, well, why don't we just sort of put some, you know, black pipes or something that will then, you know, the, that will attract the heat when the sun's out and it will increase the, so, the, you know, that will then lead. But there's also the ground source heat pumps as well we're looking at so yeah i think there's definitely uh, improvements that we can yeah make, absolutely like you say need it needed to be viable and talking of viability since you touched on it can you produce enough from this tower for viability it's hard to imagine i don't know how many how many how many kilos can you produce from one tower i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i love it the business plan didn't get that far did you run out of paper at the end the, the printer ran out and uh... Uh, do you know, it, it's really difficult uh, to work out because um as you can tell you know the, the weather changes so much so as i say you know on a good day when we can do four percent and but the thing is what we also don't know is how much we lose from the wind so if you can imagine we've got a um a tank at the bottom or a sort of a bund at the bottom but if the wind's blowing at all the spray goes beyond the area of that bund so then you end up losing some of your production and we still we can't work out where well, we haven't managed yet we've just tried to put in processes to try and work out how much we're actually losing from that um so it, it is uh yeah I, I to be honest i don't know the answer no um, well good so so i i'm i think it's brilliant and you can't see the big grin on my face as, right. as you're chatting but um yeah. for, for lots of people listening at this point might go that guy's clearly insane what on earth is he doing how is he how is he going to turn that into a business but it's worth touching on the fact you guys you really do understand salt to quite an extreme don't you so so peacock salt is is the family business yeah uh, and it, it was your granddad 140 years ago was yeah, it can you just talk a little bit about about that story i suppose of salt in the family <laughs> uh yeah no, well my great-grandfather um uh, started the business and um, john craig peacock he was and uh 
140 odd years ago and uh, he basically started by offering a sort of he was a ship's agent in glasgow so he would go and row out to the, uh, the ships that arrived in and offer services to um to them uh, whether they want rope or liquor or whatever they wanted from glasgow and he'd take it out and then uh, he uh, started uh, building his own ship actually his first ship was in 1894 which is called the edith mary um and uh named after his daughter and he then sort of we had a few more ships and then we started i suppose shipping salt about a hundred years ago maybe a bit more than that now actually 110 years ago something like that and um advent sort of this, this sort of shipping side of it started to go out and the uh, salt became uh, more and more important to the business uh, and then we sold our last ship about 30 35 years ago uh, peacock venture it's called and um yeah so we then concentrated on salt and i think uh, you know peacocks have been yeah, we have probably a lot of different types of salt and um you know ranging from all the different sectors you know so from food and animal feed and water softening and hides and skins etc but um we've never actually made our own salt and uh, gone into this section so this is the that's the excitement of the of the new venture is, is we've yeah. never made it before so so there you go um you're not just some crazy hobbyist loon you're actually you're, you're now the md of uh, of peacocks i think aren't you yes and, I am, and, it, yeah. and it is a big company the biggest distributor in the uk of salt is that is that right yeah we employ uh 60-ish right so it's a it's it's a big old business. You started there in in two thousand and three, but only became the MD a few years ago. So what what's your roles been in that in that company? Um, I was the sort of operational side of it, basically. So um, yeah, I think I, as I said, I started. Um, I was an architect beforehand. So architecture to salt, there isn't really a great link, you may say. say but you know, it's ultimately it's business to business, isn't it? So I came in more on the operational side um, and just sort of grew from there and, and learned from the bottom. Of, you know, my first job in Peacocks was, um, was more than 17 years ago. It was a long time ago when I was sort of in between uh, schools and or end of sort of Christmas holidays or summer holidays and I would be just bagging. So I'd, you know, be lifting up 50 kilogram bags and shoving them on pallets. So that was my first job. But so, yeah, it's the operational side has been my key, I think. So. Yeah. And unusual for a, a company of that age still to be, well, presumably family owned, certainly family managed, is it? So, it is so family how, owned, how, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah amazing. How, how, you know, what's the secret? So many businesses either, not, not many businesses even last that long, let alone manage to retain ownership. How, how have you done that? Uh, good question. You'd have to ask my grandfather and my great grandfather and my father probably, but uh, I think um, it's not uh, sitting back on your uh, laws and just um, you know always looking and always wanting to evolve. I think you know we don't just sit there and think, oh, you know that's fine. We'll just do this and and we'll manage. I think whoever it's been um, down the generations, we've always looked at the next thing or what we should be doing or what we can be doing and how can we improve um, on what we are doing and, and I suppose innovation has always been been key as you know we've evolved from being a shipping company now to a, a salt company to what well, to distribution and now to manufacturing so you know it is always I think just a matter of keeping keeping going and keeping looking yeah and, and was it you that made the decision because within your range I guess uh, you know you do do a, a sort of selection of gourmet salts food salts sort of you know made, made by other people was that you are you the, are you the foodie in the family that decided to diversify you know away from some of the other kind of like you know i suppose the bigger mainstream salts into that side of the business uh yeah a bit yeah i'm probably i'm the foodie uh well i think my mother's probably the foodie but um she is definitely the one who sort of taught me most of the things so um but yeah i think um there was, you know, there's also a sort of market for it, and the market was growing. So I, I think, as I was saying, you know, it's keeping keeping your eye on the market and keeping innovating and keeping the new products coming in. It's just part of the business and part of the sort of psyche of the business. So I think having that behind me as well it helps you look and seek these things out. And being a, a foodie, it just made it made sense, I suppose. And you know, I enjoy it. You know, that's 
has to be yeah. part of it. I think the key as well in business is you've got to enjoy it. And and that's the key for me and for all the employees, actually. If, if people are happy, they, they, they're going to do a much better job than when they're not. So. I'm trying to imagine the board meeting where you went in and said, uh, you know, we've, we're 140 years old. We've got to keep diversifying and expanding and stuff. And, and here's a really big wooden tower of branches that, that could be our, our future. Did that happen or was this very much separate to the Peacock business? Uh, no, it's, it is it is separate to the Peacock business, but they definitely, you know, it needed the, it needed the buying in from the rest of the board. But um, slowly. I think is how it happened. You know, I didn't just come in one day and go, "Oh, here it is." <laughs> you, hadn't, you hadn't, you hadn't been on holiday for a week. Yeah, I had some downtime and I've had a really good idea, and I've, I've bet the future of the company on on this big branch. Yeah, yeah, no. So no, I think um, no, it was just it's a slow. I think you know they came along at the same time. You know, as, as I was learning, everyone was learning. So uh, I think there were a number of times we looked at it and thought, "No, we can't do that." No, no, we're going to have to rein back your stupidity and um, <laughs> keep, you, keep you back. But yeah. you know, like anything, you just keep on trying. Yeah. I'm just thinking in my own business where the team sort of grown when I've been away for a couple of weeks and come back with some new, fresh, crazy, bonkers ideas. And uh, and yeah, I'm imagining them sort of, you know, nodding and politely and smiling and thinking, okay, this will wear off soon. Um, but there you are now with a eight metre high tower by the ocean. So so it really did happen. Are they um, Are they impressed? Uh, I think they think I'm nuts. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah no, I think, you know, they're, they're really supportive and uh, it's a great team. And But I think that's part of it. It's not, it's, I suppose it's part of who I am and they know that things like that are going to happen, you know, and we do in, in, other, in other industries and stuff, you know, we, we do develop new things and new ideas. So, yeah, this is probably the, the most ridiculous. But yeah, well, I think it's essential. That's like... Yeah, exactly. Life needs to be fun, and and sort of just finishing on the on the peacock story. Then, how is that business? Is it is it still you know growing good? Yes, you know, yeah, no, it's it's still doing well actually. I think uh, we had a bit of a blip in um, during the sort of last uh, six months, but it's not nothing nothing that was unexpected considering the circumstances. Um, but you know, so every business in the world, I think, has had a bit yeah, of a blip in the last yeah, six exactly. Months. Do you know? And uh, the thing about salt and the thing about uh, peacocks is salt actually, believe it or not, has 14,000 different uses. And don't ask me to name them because I <laughs> That would be another a really interesting episode we could do next time where yeah, you so list can, them out for us. So we could do like Mallet's Mallet's version. We can name yeah. one each and see who got. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd win. <laughs> well, I don't know. And uh, so, but there are so many different uses and we have so many diverse um, areas that we're in that actually that holds us pretty strong in any sort of situation which I think is also probably why we've lasted so long is that we have a a sort of a a spread in so many different areas and so many uh, uh, different interests that actually if one goes slightly down then the other one might come up so it's yeah I think being spread across not concentrating in one area has helped as well and that's I suppose the unique thing about salt is it can be in so many different areas. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's it's it's, it's vital, uh, and I think we've all learned that actually. Probably certainly in hospitality in the last few months, is that diversification and spread is essential because uh, yeah, you just never know what's going to happen. And if your if your bars and restaurants get shut, you certainly need to um, need to do something else. So so coming back then to the to the business side of this, are you aiming this at the sort of you know the home cook, or are you going into the sort of into the hospitality sector? Are you trying to get into the supermarkets? What what's the business plan? Don't say you haven't thought about it. <laughs> I've thought about it a lot. I don't have a clue how it's going to work. Um, I think, you know, it's it's a sort of gourmet product. And, um, you know, if you look at the other products on the market that are, that are similar, um, you know, they are sort of in, I suppose, in delis. And some of them are being used in the hospitality and, and sector. And also there are, you know, in, in sort of ingredients as well in, in butter or, in crisps or in things like that, you know, I, I think there is there's a market out there that, you know, salt's um, so um, diverse and can be used in so many different things. But also, it's that you only need a small amount of it in in something. So actually, to make it uh, a difference to something, uh, you need a small amount, even though it is a slightly higher uh, cost. But actually, the overall cost uh, to what you're you're putting the salt into is very small. So, you know, I think there is a potential. I, I'm not saying that we're going to be um, 
in uh, McDonald's or anything like that, uh, and I don't want to be anywhere near it. So but I, it is the high end stuff. And, and you know, we've had some great chefs who have come down here and uh, you know cook some uh, great stuff on the sort of we've got a little uh, railway carriage um, which we um, did up, which was um, I think eighteen eighty four. I think it was built. Um, and so we've done that up as kind of somewhere to take people when they arrive and there's a little sort of esse cooker in there which um, a sort of wood burning cooker that we uh, have had a few um, chefs in who have cooked up you know whether that be some uh, mussels and stuff they've brought with them or some steaks or even sort of aubergine or whatever just to allow us you know it's when people come here and say oh you know it'd be nice to try it says well you bring down whatever you like because we're not cooks you know we can cook but we're not chefs and we're not pretending to be so then at least you know you can cook something half decent and um you can try the salt on on something that you understand anyway so yeah it's uh i think it's it's going to be it's a high-end product absolutely but you know eventually mm. i'd love to see it in a supermarket you know but yeah. we need to make sure i think if a supermarket said oh well, what's your production capacity like and, you know <laughs> yeah, you you can... and i turn around and say oh, i don't know <laughs> i don't think that would be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> global warming uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's forecast to be sunny this weekend so yeah, I can so yeah, should manage. yeah i can probably do the three local ones <laughs> so yeah no i mean it's it's a low production um you know um but that's going to make it all the more sort of you know desired and and, and premium i think isn't it yeah I, well, I, hopefully but it's it's such a you know i think uh, we were all set to launch this uh product at the um at the end of March and obviously that's when sort of shutdown started and we had a sort of great plan of you know getting a few chefs here and and then having a sort of big launch and lots of people sort of coming and obviously we had to um, slightly curtail that and, and you were talking earlier about writing things on bits of paper and having plans and stuff or well, you have your big plan of what you're going to do and how the sales are going to where we're going to try and what we're going to do and then suddenly that you know this happens you go well that piece of paper wasn't worth much was it so uh, I think you know we've just got to go out there and put feelers out and see where we can go because the, the the market has changed hugely in the last six months and, and how people buy has changed hugely in the last six months so you know we just need to make sure we're trying to get in the right places mm. and we were. you were pretty quick you you reacted strongly when when all of your plans got thrown away and you launched a was it a pass the salt campaign and you sent out 19 boxes to some sort of particularly interesting yes. people i suppose yeah. and encourage them to pass it on just explain a bit about that and how to, how did it go yeah i think yeah I, it was um do you know we, we were sat here with products and thinking right okay well the launch them go ahead so how can we do it and you know you speak to some people say, oh you can't do anything now you really shouldn't and it's like right okay well I, to be honest i haven't really listened to lots of people so far <laughs> and i've got this huge structure sitting up something's got to happen so and uh, yeah, we just came up uh, with this idea that you know, why don't we send out um, a box of um, a box of salt with a, a small bottle of slow gin, homemade slow gin, to nineteen sort of chefs and people, and thinking right, you know, it's COVID nineteen. Let's just you know pick a, pick that number because that'll be fine. And we'd been in touch with um, them all beforehand, saying this is what we're doing, and you know, love to see you come up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it wasn't a total surprise that they. And then uh, with that, we in the box, we also put in uh, three uh, little vouchers that basically had a code on it, which they could hand off to anyone else who would then get a free box of salt. And then so then their box of salt would arrive and they would have uh, they'd get a, a box and have two, three uh, samples in it. And then the next people that they sent it off to would get one free sample. Uh, so it was just a sort of a way of. I suppose trying to give, um, you know, a, put a smile on people's faces. Really, you know, it was all done for free. No one had to. We weren't asking for anything. We were just sort of sending the salt and hopefully putting a smile on some people's faces when they were probably in some, uh, you know, having some pretty difficult times and, and challenging times for everyone. So, uh, and yeah, you know, some some people did it, some people didn't. Uh, you know, but it was it was just nice to to do. You know. Uh, and then we also on top of that we uh, then gave some tubs away to some uh, sort of local restaurants that were you know doing um, you know food for uh, people in the NHS and things like that so we just gave them some salt too you know we had it sitting here we might as well 
might as well use it and let someone else use it uh, rather than it just sitting around. So, yeah, and, you know, it was all received well. And uh, and I think it was just a bit of fun, really, uh, and a way to get the word out there without you know, hopefully offending or, or hurting anyone and, and giving, putting a smile on people's faces. Yeah, nice. Did you get anybody that you, you heard from that you were particularly excited by or impressed by where you went, ah, look, they like it? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it was... Um, some people have taken it on and done, you know, loads of stuff on it. And, you know, you look at our sort of social media and stuff. And, and I think, you know, James Golding's been particularly uh, strong on it. But, you know, it's everyone who got it and, you know, not everyone posted about it, but everyone who received it, all the sort of 19 shows, you know, who, you know, you would have heard of most of them. They all said they liked it and they all thought it was great. And, you know, that was that's that's fine. I, you know, they don't need to tell everyone. They don't need to publicise that. It's just quite nice for us to hear, and it uh, gives us a little bit of a boost that maybe my absolutely insane nut uh, <laughs> side is, you know, at least giving someone some happiness. So yeah, definitely. No, I think it's I think it's going to be awesome. Um, a few quick other random questions. Uh, Mulkey McKinnon is your uh, master salter. What's yeah. a, what's a master salter, and and how do you become one? Did you make that up? <laughs> So, what do you mean, make it up? It sounds very official. Uh, what are you it talking about? It's an awesome job title, but. There used to be, so, uh, there used to be things called master salters. So, along the coast um, in in Scotland and also down south in London, in, or not London, in, uh, in England, you know, there were so many different uh, salt producing uh, pans. And, uh, you know, so there were master salters in all of them. And, um, you know, even just round about us, there were sort of probably about 13 uh, pans within about sort of five, 10 mile radius from, from where we are. So it, it was, there was a lot locally. And uh, yeah, so the master salters came from, I suppose, historically, that's what they used to be called. So yes, it is a thing. And, and yeah, Malky has been, um, he's been with Peacocks since he was 16, I think. So uh, he's been with us uh, a fair amount of time. And uh, How yeah, old is he now? Not seventeen, clearly. <laughs> no, and I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say because I don't actually have a clue. And if he was listening, he might get. He's a grown up. That I thought he was. That's <laughs> old. But... Yeah. Uh, he's, been, uh, he's been with us. Um, yeah, I think probably around ten years. I think he's been with us. I'm. Yeah, just I'm going to have to ask him and apologise afterwards. Probably, but, uh, no, I think yeah, he's probably in his. Don't worry. I don't know. Anyway. So, <laughs> Uh, he looks well on it. Yeah, he looks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, he still looks like twenty-one. And, um, <laughs> so he, uh, so yeah, so he's sort of grown with the business, and um, so he helped us throughout the whole of the project, uh, and has, uh, you know, he, as I'd say, you know, we know all the tax. He he goes up and he knows which tax going to be stubborn and which one isn't, and you know, uh, but that which one changes every day. So he's almost a sort of has a a, a much a very personal relationship with the tag because you know he's he's with it so often and changing the things and and then you know doing the harvesting and everything so he is um yeah he's, he's, he's connected to that's it. no, great it's, it's like you know the best the best well the best anything it needs it needs a human being who just yeah understands those little nuances and those little tweaks i suppose and who takes responsibility for the end products same as a same as a chef in the kitchen i think it's a great term i think if he's got master salter on his business card yes then i I think I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, you know, plans for it to become a significant business for people for people listening and uh, and getting excited. Where's the best place that they can go and buy it at the moment? Do they need to go to their local deli, or can they buy it directly from you online? Or um, they can buy it directly from us online. Uh, we are, you know, it's quite early days I think for us, so we are trying to get out into into delis and uh, farm shops, and also you know we're into. Uh, I suppose the distributors as well. So yeah, it's um, we've got into uh, Cresco um, as well, which is good. But it's just trying to, you know, if anyone's got any ideas, then you know, let us know where they think we should be, because I think we're just um, we're just feeling the feeling the water and pushing as much as we can. And just it's it's about um, getting the I suppose it's the awareness of it. You know, it's um, people actually knowing that when you say blackthorn. So they go, oh right, yeah, no, I've heard of that. And rather than people going, yeah, whatever, that's what you're talking about. So, it, and if we can get it on shelves, 
that's that's great and that's what we're that's what we're trying to do so where to get it is um definitely online uh and hopefully in a in a sort of deli farm shop and hopefully in whatever uh, um, whoever you normally distributors you normally buy from but not yet yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll happen we'll 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 connect the dots and, and hopefully I think this that's will it. help. You know, it's connecting dots so Definitely, definitely, and it's it's you know it's got a uniqueness um, that I that I, th- I think well I'm sure it will happen. So if we were a sat you know hopefully face to face next time, Gregory, you know at, at a table in a couple of years' time, well, opening the tower. Yeah. Say again, sorry. Hopefully at the tower. Hopefully you'll come uh, at it. the tower. Much better, yeah. yeah. And, and if we were opening a little you know bo- bottle of bubbles to celebrate, uh, you know, success, what would that look for? What, what what would we be celebrating in a couple of years' time where you'd go? Yeah, bloody loving this adventure. That's awesome. Uh, uh, well, I think um, that it's still working. Uh, really, <laughs> it's it's not blown over. It's not blown over. Actually, you know, the first time when it was um, really windy, because it gets quite windy down here, as you, you know, um, as you can imagine, on the coast. And the first time it was windy, I thought, I'm just actually going to go up to the top just to check and uh, that it's not wobbling. Luckily, I got there and it's felt as safe as safe as anything. So I was like, Phew, okay, that's good. <laughs> you know, these small things that you worry about. So, <laughs> so yeah, still standing. Um, you know, and I think um, having a good distribution and being able to say to anyone in the uh, sort of hospitality catering or a sort of foodie saying, have you heard of Blackthorn Salt? And they say, yeah, it's great. And And if we can get there and, you know, they can accept the, you know the uniqueness of it, and you know it's not. I think we didn't haven't really touched on the actual um, the crystals and what they're, they're not white. You know they're slightly off white. They're a slightly sort of golden color to it, and and that's due to the tannins of the of the blackthorn. So it you know you can see that effect. You know it's not um, originally actually I thought right, oh, it's not white. I'm going to sort this out. So I sort of put in extra filters and everything, and then tasted it. I'm like, oh, this tastes revolting. Let's just—it's got to be natural, you know. And so, I was concerned originally. I think the colour would put people off, but um, no one's been put off by it yet. Uh, so it's—it's—it um, adds to it, you know that it—it's I suppose the proof of it that it is a natural a natural product, and we're not mucking around with it. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So does it does it pick up any of the the woodiness, I suppose, from the blackthorn, or, or you know, because it, so it does from a colour perspective, but that does that affect flavour at all? Uh, yeah, I think it, it definitely affects flavour because when we took it out, it didn't it didn't taste anything like it should have done. But I, I think also it took out, to be honest, some of the magnesium and calcium. In it. Yeah, um, interesting. But it does. It's um, yeah, you know, you do get that sort of initial sort of sea taste, but then it sort of mellows out and and sort of it's kind of it sort of rolls around your your tongue and it, it it's. You don't, I mean, it doesn't taste of wood, no, and it doesn't taste like sort of a smoked salt, you know, it doesn't have that much of an effect on it, but it, yeah, definitely affects the, the flavour. And, and and that thing you mentioned earlier, and you're right, it annoys me, when I pick up, uh, so I, I prefer to, to sort of sprinkle by hand, ideally, but all, all too often end up using a grinder, just because getting exactly the right kind of consistency, crispiness, I suppose, flakiness of a of a salt crystal, all too often you rub it between your, your, your finger and your thumb, and, and if it's not right, it will just stay in two big sort of you know bigger chunks and you feel that you end up needing to put it through a little grinder or something to, to get it small enough is, is that something you can actually have an impact on and work on so that you know you, you, when you when you rub it in your fingers it is it just does crumble the right amount so you can spread it on by hand yes that's um yes that's what we're trying to get to um we we, we want the pyramids we want the shapes because you know they do they look great um, but we also want to be able to get that that feel that crunch and that natural thing so you're not getting large lumps coming out of it you're not but having said that, you know, there's there's a great uh, um, salt actually, which I probably shouldn't be advertising other people's other people's salt, but there's a great salt from uh, Bali, uh, which is uh, has a sort of it's a pyramid shape, but the pyramid is much more um, uh, vertical. I suppose it's a bit more in, in line with the actual pyramids in Giza, but uh, they it has a slight lump on it as well at the end, so it's cr- sort of flaky and then but one lump at the end and but i quite like it where you come across that sudden sort of surge of saltiness and the surge of flavor but um i think it's a sort of good on maybe a steak but then anything else it just doesn't really work so we yes it's a much sort of flakier salt that we're looking for and and have and it's um easy to crumble between your fingers so you get that feel and you get that understanding of of what you're doing so it becomes 
you know, as you said, you're using a grinder, but this is actually using your um, your fingers as that grinder, and you get a bit more of a feel for it because even grinders can clog up a bit, you know. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, I just love the fact that again, you know, there's somebody obsessed enough to think about how that crystal feels between your thumb and forefinger and takes that all the way back to the you know the the, the salt pan and the tower and the the bits of wood and where it comes from and yeah so thank you for being a, a another crazy obsessive that makes the world of food and drink uh, even more interesting for people who want to follow the journey and and, and see uh, all this kind of stuff is there a particular social media channel that they should go to follow it either blackthorn or, or you personally where's best to go uh yeah there's an instagram blackthorn salt and uh and there's, there's twitter and facebook as well but the instagram seems to be uh the most popular uh place to be at the moment i don't really understand which bit becomes popular in social media and which doesn't so but instagram seems to be um is, is good and obviously the website has everything on it you know, blackthornsalt.co.uk has all the um, a video and stuff at the beginning which gives you a good idea of what it looks like pretty quickly so. definitely that two minute video is awesome everybody should just go and have a little watch of that because it's uh it's it's an awesome yeah little production and it uh, yeah, brings it all to life well look gregory real, real pleasure to catch up who knew that we could spend an hour just chatting about some twigs and salts but uh it's been an utter pleasure thank you for sparing the time and good luck with it i shall watch with fascination and uh, and get some to try as well so uh, yeah thanks for sparing the time best of luck Excellent. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mark, and uh, good to speak to you. A pleasure. Thanks, Gregory. So there you have it. Well done. If you got this far, you will be great at the next pub quiz in case the, uh, I don't know, very unlikely scenario, I suppose, where there are questions around salt. But I hope you agree what a lovely chap Gregory is and what a great idea. And just, again, nice to see somebody you know, bonkers enough to, to follow something just because it feels like a you know pet project and a bit of passion, but he's actually seen it through and he's turned it into a business. And that is the entrepreneurial way. Rather than just thinking about it, he's actually pulling it off and making it happen, which is why I love to chat to crazy humans like him. Uh, go to the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, and I will put the links in the show notes up there that will take you through to their Instagram pages. I'll also put a link on there that will take you through to the video that we spoke about at the end. Uh, whilst you're there, why not sign up for the weekly newsletter um, on the website? Just send you through a sort of weekly update as to the episodes that are coming out and those show notes directly to your inbox, which will save you the hassle of going and looking for them on a weekly basis. And whilst you're on the website, there's also a big Patreon page, a sort of donation page. If you can afford to spare a fiver or a tenner to support this podcast, um, it really helps me out okay that's it it's been a pleasure and uh, we'll be back in touch next week with another episode thanks for sparing the time